crosstalk, the unintentional transfer of signals between communication channels, a casual conversation. Hello world, this is Video Game Crosstalk, episode 019, the monthly podcast of gamers talking tech, science, and whatever else comes to mind. I'm your host, Anthony Rossi, and with me this week is the host of Behind the Line Radio, Kinetic. Kinetic, thank you so much for lowering your standards and joining me on this podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me here, man. I also got to say, I appreciate you starting with a zero that gives you plenty of room to get three digits in a numerical order. Oh, absolutely. And because obviously, since I'm putting these out once a month, I'm definitely going to be going through. I, I don't even feel like doing the math on how many years it'll take me to get to episode 100. <laughs> Somewhere around eight. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We're working on it. maybe I'll throw a few uh, extra episodes in there. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll get back up to either doing a biweekly or who knows? Maybe this uh, podcast thing will just take off. I'll be able to quit my day job and just pump out uh, podcasts you know, whenever I feel like it. Kind of do the Chris Hardwick thing, put out like one a day yeah. with his uh, nerdist stuff. But anyway, uh, yeah, so we got Kinetic here. Uh, you are also with the Enthusiasts, shall I call it collective, online community? Group. Group. Something. <laughs> The thing that does the thing. Yeah, other listeners will know a few episodes back, I actually had Judge Greg on, and uh, he's just a little social butterfly on the internet. Yeah, and Greg, uh, you reached out to Greg, me. Greg's actually to... the one that got me involved in all of this. Is he? Yeah, I know him. We were friends from college. Okay. And uh, one point I went out to the East Coast for business and took the opportunity to visit him. And he mentioned, "Hey, I do the, this this thing. You want, um, we could do an episode. He um, he does Hero Talk, and Jeff Berenfang does Point Streak. And so they wanted to have me on to talk about video game QA. So I did. And at the same time, when I was out there, he and I watched um, Dread, the Carl Urban Judge Dread movie, and then we did okay. a Hero Talk on that movie. And then I said, "Hey, I'd like to be involved in this," and sort of developed from there. And now I do all kinds of weird stuff for the group. Nice. It's really interesting. Maybe a few weeks, maybe a month or so ago, I had saw that another one of my previous guests, Ash Lyons, uh, was on another, I think it was just a Gearbox Central podcast. But as soon as he was done with mine, I had him on not too long ago to talk about uh, visual effects in gaming. And he's. I saw him tweet you know, a few weeks ago, like, that was a lot of fun. I would love to be on another podcast. And then a couple of weeks later, <laughs> I saw that he was on, I can't remember the name of the podcast, but it was a Gearbox Central, Central one. And yeah, this is just a lot of fun. Uh, as I mm -hmm. said before, you know, it doesn't matter if I start making proper income to quit my full day or my full time gig. This is just a fun hobby to do, to get with other people, reach out and just talk about our fandoms and what's going on in the world. Yeah, it is. And like, my stuff for enthusiasts, it's, I don't necessarily even do it to have others be able to hear it. I mean, if other people hear it and they can take stuff from it, that's great, but it's also just something to do to do. I mean, it's a great way to keep in touch because I talk with people 
I've worked with in the industry or had oh, contacts cool. with in the industry. And uh, it helps give me a platform to keep in touch with them and to practice. I mean, one of the reasons I started doing it was to help practice my oration and speaking abilities. And, and I haven't okay. gone back to compare my first episode with my latest episode, but uh, I, I am probably a lot smoother in keeping oh, my train of thought together now. It's, I tell a lot of people, public speaking is hard. Public mm-hmm. speaking is incredibly difficult. Uh, I will very soon, I would have joined already, but the meeting got canceled. Um, my day job office has a chapter of Toastmasters on site where they meet up and do practice speeches and just work on public speaking and presentations. And there's another leadership path that you can follow within that. And this public speaking, and being able to present yourself and communicate ideas in a cohesive and intelligent manner, it's a skill that needs to be practiced and learned and refined. It's its not easy. I've joked with some yeah. people, there's a lot of little snippets that I take out trying to clean up all the uhs and ums and stuff like that. So I'm, I am fully confident that your public speaking skills have improved <laughs> just by even casually doing a podcast. I mean, even like right after I started, I, I started Twitter pretty late. I'm not much of a social media person. In fact, I'm not much of a social person in general. And the, <laughs> what little I do in Twitter is exhausting enough as it is. But uh, uh, early other on, people. In, in, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> One of the things I put out there was this uh, uh, GIF from uh, Wallace and Gromit thing where he's riding a, the train and like rapidly trying to put uh, train track pieces in front of the car he's on. <laughs> so that's pretty much like my brain when I'm trying to complete a sentence while I'm talking. I'm trying to put all the words in place before my mouth catches up with my, where my brain is. Right. And have you ever tried to say two words at the same time? Uh, Probably. Yes, <laughs> I, I definitely have. I ask because I definitely have. And you can't decide which word fits better. Like I just did hmm. right there. I was thinking of like a different ending for that sentence, but I had to do a little hesitation as far as what I was going to use to finish that sentence. So yeah, that's pretty much how it works. <laughs> oh, anyway. So you mentioned during our intro that you work in QA. Mm-hmm. So let's start off with what exactly is QA? Well, video game QA, uh, there's... I think that perception about this is getting a bit better as time goes on. When I started, I start, I actually started a long time ago. I started in like real early 2000s. Um, okay. So really like I've been, I've been in video game QA for a really long time and that's a high churn section of a high churn industry. So a lot of the time you, you used to have people who'd be like, oh, you get to sit down and play games for a living. And while there's still some of that around, most people understand, okay, this is big enough and complicated enough that that isn't it. And people may not have a fully formed idea of what's going on, but they at least it's less common for people to come in and and be like, yeah, I want to sit here and play games. Because what we do is video games don't just spring out fully formed. Oh, no. So you're going to have... Yeah, intermediate builds. Those intermediate builds are going to have issues in them, and you need someone to take a look at them and understand what might be going wrong, and to report that back so other people can fix it. You know, just okay. kind of. So really quick, QA is that quality assurance? Oh yeah, yes, it's quality assurance. Okay, so it's quality assurance. Is there a difference between? And I've heard these terms 
somewhat interchangeably. Is there any difference between quality assurance and quality control? Um, I haven't heard the term quality control used much in uh, a video game development setting. Okay. So I, I think it's just a term that isn't used here too much. If I was going to say, if I was going to hear quality control, just going by my experience in the industry, I would imagine that that's more along the lines of like managing IP rather than issues with the software. Okay. So there's definitely a, a different, from your perspective, um, based on what you've experienced, there is a slight difference. So we are in quality assurance. So let's mm. take an example of what, say, a ticket item would be or what what path something in QA would entail. Hmm. You mean, you mean like a, a, a bug? Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, so let's say, let, let's go with something simple. You're in, um, uh, a third person 3d adventure game on a console, right? Okay. And you go into an office and okay. there's a desk and you move your character around and they move up to the desk and they can walk through the desk. There's no collision detection on this item in the room. And that's mm -hmm. not right. You know, is it a huge bug? No, it's not a huge bug, but it's still not right. So you write it up. It would probably be, I don't know, a severity of C or or three, depending on how you're, you know, very noticeable, but it's not game breaking. It's not mm -hmm. horrible. You write that up. That would go to through whatever assignment channels that, that are set up in the project because they're going to be different for pretty much any team oh, or any okay. uh, organization. Yeah, I just have like a horrifying you know thought of like if you are working for one particular game developer or company then you probably get used to however their process is but now i'm just you know, thinking to myself what if you're one of the third party or subcontracted smaller studios and you have to bounce between different larger studios uh, management practices and processes oh good lord that can't be fun yeah, it can it can be a bit tricky with that sometimes. Um, but generally speaking, most of your projects you're going to have people dedicated to a project. Okay, so it's not going to be too drastically horrible. And when it comes to it, it, most of that, will probably be more to do with um, um, idiosyncrasies with how any team wants wording done or formatting, mm -hmm. rather than complications with routing or fields because when you're writing a bug most people are going to have it's not going to be done through email you're going to have a bug tracking database like test track or jira or bugzilla or something like that and <laughs> the, the, a lot of that formatting is going to be set up for you mm. which one uh bugzilla yeah that just sounds like a fantastic name for your system <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I'm distracted by a shiny object. Continue. <laughs> but when you're working with that, then, okay, you, you're going to write it up, send it off. Most of these systems should help with the routing just to make sure that the people who need to see it to make sure that the people who need to address it get it. And mm -hmm. then you get to just procedural discipline. Is everyone going to be doing what they need to do? Okay, so the report comes through to the engineer. Hopefully everything's clear. If it's not, maybe they might write back to the tester and say, I don't understand this part. Is it room 101 or is it room 301 or is it room 303 or something like that? Mm -hmm. That has this desk without collision detection. Maybe they can't find it. 
okay, the, the tester would explain it, write it back, maybe attach a screenshot or something to the issue to help explain where it is, capture a video or something. I mean, it, hopefully none of that would be necessary for this example. You should be able to write everything clearly enough that you wouldn't need that level of specificity. Mm-hmm. But just but depending on the project, you know, and what's going on, I, I can I can see where you can only include so much detail in written text without making mm-hmm. a massive correspondence. So, yeah, okay. Then the developer working on it at some point should be able to address it. They say, put the collision uh, detection in for this object. And then at a later point, a build of the game would come back to QA. The report would be marked claim fixed or some such equivalent in whatever the workflow of the system is, which Mm -hmm. signals that, okay, tester, this bug, we think it's fixed. Uh, Try it again and make sure that it's fixed. And you go there, the tester would go in, try to walk into the desk, and let's let's make it a little more complicated. Let's say, okay, approaching the desk from the front, it now blocks you. But if you walk around the desk and come from the back, you can still walk through it all the way. Like, okay, partially fixed. You send it back. The fix was failed. You explain that you have to make sure the collision is all the way around the desk, and the process repeats itself until it's completely done. Then there's also... Mm-hmm. situations where let me see here damn it i had something and then i lost it sorry <laughs> darn it <laughs> no it's gone that that's a okay. pretty good example though okay yeah that's oversimplifying i'm sure but the general process i can mm-hmm. imagine would be the same all right so that's like the standard process of how it goes and i could see where in earlier video games like you said, if you've been in QA since the early 2000s, you're probably of the 90s generation, 90s child. Um, not born in the 90s, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've probably gone through the whole playing games on, if we're going to just stick with consoles, the original N- Nintendo into the Super Nintendo yeah. and Sega Genesis. where And this isn't too say that the job was simpler back then, but you're on a 2D platform for the most part. Towards the later end of the generation, we started to dip into either a 3D or I guess what would they call a 2.5 type of perspective. But in today's day and age, not only do you have full-blown, true three-dimensional movement, but we're getting ever-increasingly complex and precise, I guess I'll use, shapes and forms and whatnot so like for instance playing say a a gta and you're walking around the city and you walk across the street over to the sidewalk but you don't quite get to the sidewalk where your character currently stands technically one foot will be on the pavement of the street and the other one will be on the sidewalk. And there is a, in real life, say six inch difference or four inch difference between the street and the curb. We have now hit the point in development where I have actually seen it programmed in that the character's leg is bent and you can see one foot on that slight of a different elevation. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how many different services or zones or however it is programmed to catch every bit of curvature and height differential down to that fine of a degree. There's actually a name for that. 
And okay. I might be getting it wrong here, but I think it's inverse kinematics. Um, there's a... Um, That'll score your points, Interessi. The, <laughs> the uh, extra credits, if you follow them, they had one or two episodes where they're talking about animations in Shadow of the Colossus. And, oh, boy. Um, they explained this because the animations in Shadow of the Colossus are astonishing. And... The main character, Wander, he's not nimble as a cat. You can stumble, you can jump up and fall downstairs and, and stuff, but also the horse, Agro. And they the, in, in this video, they pointed out that they're standing on a slope and Agro's entire posture, like as opposed to, say, Skyrim, where the horse just kind of rotates to go up a slope. Okay. Agro actually has rules that the hooves make contact with the ground at the correct angle for the ground. And then the computer, that's why it's called inverse, from those positions figures out the positions that everything needs to take for this posture to make sense. Oh, wow. So in the example of Grand Theft Auto with one foot on the curb and one foot on the street, so you got to lift up the foot, it says, okay, foot's here. So like the animation isn't just here is a straight animation of running and it's kind of static like that it's actually dynamic where it says okay the foot goes here and then it traces the anatomy back to say okay the foot is up so the knee has to be a little bit bent the foot's a little bit forward and they're on different planes and they both join at the hip at the right angle and so forth that's a lot going on i'm from the perspective of i just read a lot and play a lot so i like to think that i know what's going on <laughs> Which I think a lot of people on the internet do. But where I try to differentiate myself is to understand that, no, I do not know everything. <laughs> and when you learn little bits like that, it's, I don't know if it's cunning Duger effect, but you begin to realize if you get this little piece of information, you can see it extrapolate and spread out into all these other different scenarios and realize, wow, there is so much more going on. Like you, kind yeah. of realize that you just looked through a pinhole into a very massive area of yeah. what what it entails or requires to get these just simple walking animations to function properly. And I'd actually say that goes back to what I was saying about uh, understanding what goes into QA and fixing bugs. And so many times there's an issue that comes up and people say, oh, this should be just a five minute fix. And it's like, no, no, you don't no. understand. There's all this stacked technology that that goes into place that you can't make an, a change here that doesn't affect things over there. And it's yeah, it, it's it's really complicated. It's really tricky. It's it almost every game, like pretty much every game, is going to be some Gordian knot of code and logic. <laughs> Yeah, I have a one friend who and works in, in IT. In turn, in turn, uh, in turn, that's also why when testing a, bu a bug, trying to make sure it's fixed, you have to make sure that issues around the fix didn't get broken. Like mm -hmm. this fix didn't cause a different problem somewhere else. Yeah, I think I've seen a, I think it was a Dilbert cartoon where the IT guy comes in, he fixes one issue with the person's computer i don't remember if the character's name was tina or not if it was that character but all right i fixed one issue but broke two other things so i guess i'm ahead of the curve in this situation huh. just because 
Exactly what you said. You, you get one thing to work, but in the vast complex web of interconnected parts and pieces, changing one item then causes completely unexpected and seemingly unrelated things to act in weird ways. Absolutely. Um, like I have one friend who works in IT and he perpetually mentions how the entire system that he works on is decades old using different types of code that just aren't in use anymore. Like, oh, it was a big, this type of code was used heavily in the 70s. But since no one else knows how to code in this language, we're just going to keep this artifact in the system because otherwise this entire house of cards could tumble and collapse and just cause catastrophic failure across the network. <laughs> Legacy. Gotta love it. Yes. Uh, and by gotta love it, I mean everybody is terrified of it. I mean, I, th there was a uh, an old commercial. I always remember this. I don't even remember what it was advertising for, but it was this uh, – group of people like in a boardroom talking about stuff and and through the conversation it becomes clear that they are representative of some like business infrastructure or something mm -hmm. and they're talking about like someone broke in or something happened and and one of them yells out across the hall hey legacy did you leave the back door open and there's just this guy <laughs> in like a bathrobe eating cereal out of a bowl in in socks walking down the hallway <laughs> <laughs> legacy issues man oh man yeah Whew. so anything else you'd like to mention about qa before we move on oh there's there's always more stuff to talk about qa go for it. you sent me, so uh in <laughs> preparing for this show you sent me a link for the 10 most awkward bugs in gaming history yeah. and you have a particular issue with this article so go ahead with that Oh yeah. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily that, and this is, uh, something from freaking Red Bull a couple of years ago. I didn't know Red Bull had a games thing, but I, I was just looking up a few things and I, I happened to spot this and the subtitle for the article, uh, was, uh, from faceless Assassin's Creed unity characters to GTA Four swing glitch, meet the gremlins that made it past QA. And this is another one of those misconceptions that bugs quote, make it past QA. Okay couple things about this. One, Let you roll. have to realize that it doesn't matter how much time and effort and how smart you are and efficient and effective you are at testing things. That amount of time and effort, if you have any amount of success on release, is going to be immediately dwarfed by the time and effort that people trying to mess with the system have in the public. You know, oh, yeah. once you release it to the wild, like that's just I can imagine that people have built up their online identity or YouTube channel by finding bugs and finding ways to break the game. Oh, yeah. It, 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 this, and and I've, I've watched uh, what was it Glitch Fest? I think uh, those are funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great and it's just so long as everyone is a was where like this doesn't necessarily reflect badly and and you see some glitches that require this really absurd level of detail or those weird like super mario world speed runs where they have to do this absolutely oh good god insane sequence of events to rewrite binary code into unused ram memory to skip to the end credits or something it's yeah, weird like yeah, no one's checking for that yeah no one's um, checking for that or and and you're not going to run into it either. Like the level of it's it's just crazy. But the thing is, the thing that gets me about this is made it past QA. Okay, a lot of these obvious things 
QA saw it. Okay. If you had a competent testing team, they saw it and they reported it. And for any number of reasons, they weren't fixed. They were too difficult. Uh, there wasn't enough time. There wasn't enough money. But generally speaking, if you see something wrong, a tester saw it too. And just oh, because sure. it's still in the game doesn't mean the tester didn't see it. QA aren't the ones who fix it. And just because QA finds it doesn't mean it's going to get fixed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, yeah, because it comes back to the whole, you know, if we fix this, is something else going to break? Yeah, or and you get to a just... very precarious thing where you're like, okay, things seem to be stable. We've got these things that happen maybe a tenth of the time, but every time we've tried to touch it, everything comes crashing down. So, and we well, have to release in a week, so. <laughs> and I was just about to say, there's also prioritization going on. You know, is this a game-breaking bug or glitch? Yeah, um, I think one of them on the list was if you r- drive through a swing set, your car gets launched into the air. I mean, <laughs> it, it's funny, <laughs> yeah. but it's not necessarily game breaking. And if it's not going to break the game, then outside of just being funny, it's probably not going to be high on the priority list as far as like where to direct your attention, especially yeah, I, if you've got a release window coming up. I can give you another example in a released game, which I think is hysterical. Um, in the original driver, you are the wheel man for the PlayStation. I think it is the third stage. If you never move, uh, the driver, you are the real man is, is kind of like a proto GTA in the driving sense. Um, GTA three at any, at any rate, like I'm one of the weird guys who, when I saw GTA three, it's like, Ooh, they went into a 3d world. I'm like, huh, that looks like a driver ripoff. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. I start playing GTA three and I start like paying attention to traffic signals and I like pull out a reverse 180 to pull out of a, of a, a spot. And it's like, how are you doing it? It's how you do it in driver. <laughs> but in this game, nice. a, a lot of the obstacles are kind of simplistic, like getting pulled over by the cops. They don't shoot you or anything. The police cruisers just ram you until they wreck your car. <laughs> it, it's a little weird, but okay. If you, in the, on this stage, if you don't move at all, a police cruiser will eventually see you, try to hit you, wreck itself on your car. And maybe there's another, but eventually, like, these wrecks will get out into the street. Okay. And then regular traffic will start backing up and smashing into it because the traffic isn't smart enough to go around. Oh, geez. And it'll start going down the street and around the corner that goes over a bridge that you can see. And after this goes out of your sight, and this doesn't take too long, like five, ten minutes or something. Oh, that's not long at all. And you look to the right, you see a car careening through the sky and slam into a building across the road. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I don't know why that happens, but it's hysterical. But somehow, with everything else happening, it just culminates into a massive launch of this one vehicle. Yeah, like maybe it spawns on top of another car and it launches it or something. I have no idea, but I mean, that is clearly a bug. This whole thing is a bug. I mean, really, I would say the bug for this is that the traffic can't navigate its way around stuff and mm-hmm. the car launching its way through the sky is is what's known as a bug of a bug where, okay, okay. here's the original bug. Um, this other thing that depends on the bug can happen. But would you consider it a valid bug if the first bug were fixed? 
Right. And this is actually a neat little trick in, in QA to make sure that your issue gets paid attention to is, okay, I found this problem. It's actually just say a little hang in the menu or something. But if I can do something to exploit it, I can actually make the game crash. Okay, now you just took a D severity bug to an A because it's now right. a crash. Okay. Right. And you so know, I've actually... the, the crash is a bug of a bug, but if you condense it into the original one, then it's still valid and you just made the original bug more severe. Okay. And I've actually seen some issues with spawning. Actually, there was a few public events in Destiny 2 that I was playing a f- last time I played was a couple months ago. I was in this one public event and these objects spawn onto the battlefield when things start initiating and my character was just like launched out of the area <laughs> just gone <laughs> uh but, but like nothing hit me and i think what it was is that one of the items spawned where i was standing and the system was trying to rectify that whole thing and rather than having you know it glitch out with two objects my my character and whatever the battlefield object was existing in the same space they must have done something where it just kind of like pushes like maybe the object just like grows from the inside out to push things out of the way but mm-hmm. the the rate at which it pushed me at must have triggered some type of physics control and just said oh well if you're moving this you know like acceleration basically you move from here to here in this amount of time therefore you're moving at this rate and my tune gets flying across half the battlefield <laughs> that's like the best that i could figure out because i'm like getting ready to you know coordinate with my team i'm like all right let's do this oh my god why am i 60 feet in the air <laughs> well at least it puts you up instead of down through the floor oh yeah that's an and that we can probably go on for hours about this but like again destiny and uh destiny one there was one strike mission where it was like really impossible to get through just the way that the variables worked down this one strike and someone somehow some way found a way to ride your little uh, it's called a sparrow which are basically your star wars speeder bike if you're to drive that thing into the air this one area and slam it repeatedly into this one nook of a boulder formation on the one side of the hill it'll eventually somehow glitch through the floor and you'll be able to walk around underneath the the ground like mm. i have no idea how someone was able to find that well, I mean, you start looking at speed runs. They take advantage of a lot of those. They're called out of worlds. Okay. Yeah. They. they oh, so there's an entire name for these things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, they used to be kind of my forte back back in my console testing days. Uh, I'm <laughs> on right. mobile now, and and they don't exactly come up so much in mobile games. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, but uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, we could I go mean, on. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, one other thing that I wanted to touch on, though, uh, sure. is you were kind of mentioning earlier about how simple things used to be versus how they are now. And you've been kind of using the 3D world as an example. And and honestly, like a 3D world like opens up new venues for issues to occur. Like I said, okay. collision detection, out of world, stuff like that. More complexity with animations. Uh, but what oh, th- I actually saw really different on this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what what really makes things more difficult is the underlying systems. Network technology, is this working correctly? Can you exploit this? Um, is something going wrong here? It's it's when the logic 
underlying things start to get complicated, that things get weird. And there was a, a, a really, really big, bad example of this a few years ago with the Diablo three economy. If you recall, there was the bit where they had to take down the, the auction house because oh, of yeah, the I remember this. bug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not that that particular issue was so difficult to reproduce. It had to do with something like the, the size of the variable they used for a thing. Oh, wow. But also, and I was trying to look to find this before we started, but I, I couldn't quite find where I saw this originally. But I remember reading that one of the issues with that was there was a particular change that went into that update uh, that they didn't even send a QA. Like, uh-oh. Yeah, never do that. Never do that. I mean, one <laughs> of my core tenets uh, for... Uh, my QA departments is don't trust anybody. Like mm-hmm. if an engineer says this should be fine, check it extra hard. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, I don't trust them. I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Right. There was this one Twitter thread and I can't remember who posted it. I want to say it was someone from Bioware, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> He went into some type of detail, some like hypothetical of just a simple death animation for a character in a game. And it had to do with putting into the code uh, what happens when a character reaches zero hit points. So you reach zero hit points, the player, the character becomes inactive, but you have to add in a death animation you know, for him, like keeling over on the ground, but this animation occurs, you know, during the rest of the game while it's still going. And what happens if that animation becomes interrupted by contact from either an opposing player or another enemy? Does that, uh, does that character become reanimated because they're supposed to react to that damage impact? Um, And if they do recover or, or if they do, respond to a damage impact um do they follow the code to go back into their regular operation and if they go back into the regular operation what happens if they have zero hit points at the time and you can't fall below zero does that character then become essentially immortal because during your death animation another random came in contact with it Hmm. yeah and or does your uh animation restart and you can have someone grief you by just keeping on tapping you and forcing you to restart your death animation. So it never finishes. So you never respawn or something like that. I, rec- I recall that one. I don't remember where it's from either. Yeah. But, but that I, I kind of puts things too. into perspective. Even. Yeah. It just puts things into perspective of how complicated, how quickly this can become incredibly complicated before too long. Uh-huh. Yeah, those are those are called event collisions where you have two things happening okay. where the logic doesn't like jive with each other. They they were written with the implicit assumption that they wouldn't interact, but you mm-hmm. can make them interact. Okay. Yeah, yeah I can actually bring a, a another example of an old school bug from the NES game Blaster Master that kind of okay. works like this, where if you beat a boss of a stage, this jingle plays, and if you <clears throat> pause and unpause the game the jingle restarts so if you Hmm. keep pausing and unpausing the game you'll never advance i mean you're actively causing this and 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 you want to but it it will it will keep the game stuck repeating the jingle over and over again oh well you could actually also mess with the uh music while it's doing that because if you hit it just right the um 
the little MIDI wave synthesizer, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, starts kind of getting stuck on the wrong note a little bit, just on the bass (laughs) line. I think it's the square wave. Okay. Starts acting weird. Oh, but boy. Yeah. Yeah. So plenty, or, plenty or, of different sorry, ways. Sorry. Another example from Blaster Master, because I love that game. Okay. Because um, <laughs> you're riding a freaking badass tank that jumps. Um, <laughs> when you roll the tank, and, and actually, this is a pretty good example because it goes into how uh, QA is also a bit of detective work. Because when we're looking at it, sometimes to figure out the cause of the issue, we can write up a thing and the engineer would be like, I don't see anything wrong. But if you look at it deeper, like a detective and try to understand the underlying system and say, no, this is what's happening. It's doing this. I know how to fix it. And you don't have to say you, you, when you write a bug, you don't be like, you need to fix it this way. You just lay out the logic of what's happening. Okay. Um, in this game, you ride the tank and when you go to the side, it kind of bounces up and down, right? Like you're going off road, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you, take your finger off the D pad, it kind of slowly rolls to a stop. You know, it, it decelerates on its own. It doesn't like stop instantly. Okay. Um, so it has a bit of momentum. Interestingly enough, I happen to know that that momentum is timed and based off of the bouncing up and down animation. Okay. But I know that I know that because, um, if you jump and paw and, and land, when you land, the wheels kind of jut out to the side a little bit, like it's absorbing the impact. If you okay. pause right at the base of that um, and then unpause, it doesn't pop back up into its normal position. It stays really, really low for a, a little bit. It'll reset after a bit of time. But while you're in that state, you can start moving again. It doesn't bounce up and down. And now it doesn't slow down either. Oh, it's please. like on cruise control. <laughs> so that's a little bit of a bug. Um, that's, again, that's... not a very serious one. And actually, before I forget, I have another example uh, that I have not mentioned anything to you about. So this might be an interesting surprise or it might be really stupid. I'm not sure. Hey, let it ride. <laughs> but I think I can tell you something about yourself as an example of this kind of like level of observation and, and detective stuff. So I'm going to, I'm going to make an observation and then I'll explain why I think that. Okay. I think your kitchen knives get dull faster than they should. Uh, not really. I don't think so, but I, it but I have, be very, I have it, go ahead. I, it wouldn't be like really severe, but I'll explain why I make that observation. Okay. In the background of your Twitter picture, I can see um, a Uh knife block. And and the knife block has the slots vertical. Mm -hmm. Vertical knife slots will be resting on their blade and leave you prone to cutting into the block a little bit when you put, put them in or take them out. Which puts unnecessary wear on the blade. Where horizontal slots don't have that wear mm-hmm. so very uh, as as soon as you mentioned the knife lock i'm like okay i know where he's going with this <laughs> <laughs> no um they probably actually you know what i will agree with you yes they do get dull faster than they probably should but we do have a sharpener and i have you know sharpened our knives 
Mm-hmm. So you're not like I said, entirely... the, the, the effect from the block is going to be pretty minimal, but it, it would be there. Yes. So that I would agree with. So yes, you, you are good. You are good. My, my good friend. All right, so we're going to move on to some tech and science news. Uh, we Woo. got quite a list. I think I might skip over a couple of these, but some of these, and as I've mentioned to some people, um, and I've also mentioned these two, I was at a couple cons recently, actually. Uh, I wound up in Saratoga here in New York, and just discussing people what I do on this podcast, Like these, I try to find these science and tech articles that are really interesting and like a lot of stuff is going on in these fields that like never really get any publicity or they're not really talked about, I feel. So the first one I actually heard while I was commuting to work, it came on to NPR and the, and I'm going to get the title of this article exactly. So I'm going to open up this link. Genetically altered skin saves a boy dying of a rare disease. Now, I'll have a link to this in the show notes, uh, and you could actually hear the broadcast of this. It's got a little player embedded into the into the webpage. You can actually hear the original broadcast. This is from All Things Considered. And the synopsis of this is, there's a boy, this uh, in particular, this case is over in Europe, and he has a rare skin disease called, and I'm going to try not to butcher this, epidermolosis bullosa and in effect what it is his skin doesn't bond properly between its layers oh god so what happened and uh did you read the article did you uh, yeah listen yeah to i the... did okay the the first so, i mean like looking at it the first thing i remembered was there was actually a documentary a documentary about uh, another kid suffering from this uh and it was called the uh the child with the butterfly skin or something like that okay butterfly skin um, i'll is look another that up and i'll it's, add it's a link to it in the notes the child yeah uh, i'm scribbling right now Okay, so there's actually a documentary regarding regarding this disease, or do you know if it was this case in particular? It, I believe it was about a particular case, and it was just horrible what what um, someone suffering from this has to go through. And I think it's tremendous that you know they first of all that you can do something to address this, and and I don't know. I sometimes I think I look at things from from a like twenty degrees off of normal. Where mm-hmm. I look at this like, okay, the, the kid has new skin now that they use to treat him and it works just fine and it's always normal skin and this is to get over this other problem. And the bit that actually stuck out to me the most was they mailed the new skin to him. Like oh it was God. shipped. Yeah. <laughs> did you catch that part? It was like shipped from Germany. It's like, uh, that's I don't think I did catch that part. Weird. Yeah. But it was. I mean, it's cool. It's just, that's <laughs> the one that, that. Like, well, kind of going into an article like that, be like, okay, cool, kid, skin saved, problem sick. They mailed it rather than having him come to the. Well, I mean, it, I, I suppose having the condition would make moving the kid difficult, but mm-hmm. I mean, that, that 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 was the bit that stuck out to me. Yeah. No, that is well. I'm trying to find it right now. 
because I don't think it was mentioned in the actual the original broadcast. But oh, here it is. So Deluca was able to grow entire sheets of the engineered epidermis, which were shipped to the hospital in Germany. Wow. <laughs> All right, there it is. <laughs> All right, so pushing a little bit more into this this story, so the layers of this child's skin, who by the way is only seven years old, they don't bond properly, so his skin literally doesn't stay where it's supposed to. His epidermis has sloughed off, or does on occasion. So he's got there's a picture of him farther down. And he looks, I mean, it's, some parts of his skin look a bit rough, but definitely he's doing much better than he was before. Here's how they did it. They were able to use both genetic, or I think was it? Yes, genetic engineering. So they were able to fix whatever it was in the genes. They were able to deliver this. Oh, I'm getting my details mixed up because this is fantastic to do actually during the show. It's a combination <laughs> of gene therapy and stem cell research is what mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's, it was uh, what injecting the genetic modifications via a virus. I think it was. Yes. And so modifying do... the virus to modify the skin, to be able to have it help the kid. Right. I mean, cause they tried all sorts of stuff. They even tried using skin grafts from the child's own father and they were still having issues. Uh, so yeah. they were able to deliver it, ha- deliver the new genes through this virus, which they, they acknowledge like, yes, this genetically engineering a virus, even to transmit beneficial information or uh, genetics does pose some problems. Uh, as far as increasing the possibility of increased other health risks, such as yes, cancer. But in the meantime, they were able to do this boy's, I think it was 80% of his body had to be like regrafted or retreated. So this is 60%. Yeah. 60% 60%. of his epidermis is sloughed off at seven years old. Yeah. There's, there is nothing positive about this. And, um, so we got a lot more stuff to move on. I highly, highly recommend anyone listening to this, go to this article, listen to the full um, story because we're kind of butchering the details right now. But what you need to know is they were able to use some gene therapy with some stem cell research, deliver the new genes to these separate graphs of skin of newly created, I guess, skin, ship them over to the boy and at this point, he's actually running around in gym class playing soccer with no issues. Mm-hmm. That's that the awesome part. I know, like that is what really like sets it for me. Like this kid is now playing soccer. Uh, we can joke about how soccer is or is not a high contact sport, whatever. He's playing sports. He is straight up yeah. playing sports at this point with no issue. Well, with a condition like that, I would think running would have been a risky op- proposition in the first place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And by think, so I mean, that's a, would say. Yeah. So that's actually turns into like an actual feel good article. Um, yeah. 
and and you also got to remember that this isn't just because the the condition is rare. There's a lot of effort that went into it, and and it's able to help people, and that's wonderful. And from a practical standpoint, you might say, okay, this is a lot of effort for one person. But you also have to remember that there's lessons that are drawn from this that can be applied to all kinds of other stuff too. So this isn't just oh, about sure. like one kid or a, a small number of kids. Because there's people who would look at this and say, well, couldn't all of this effort have been applied to, say, cancer? You know, just something to get more bang for the buck at first or something. But like I said, lessons from this can be applied to other things. It's like, okay, we didn't go to the moon just for the sake of getting to the moon. Look at all the other stuff that came out of that. Or, you know, computers. When you're designing a, mm -hmm. a fancy calculator, would you have imagined the internet? <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. So like for this one in in general or uh, in particular uh we proved that this could be done we did a large scale skin graft uh we were able to use the virus to deliver this treatment in a successful way like all these things happened while developing a treatment for yes one individual but i mean it shouldn't take much creative processing to think of additional applications for this mm-hmm so uh, I'm going to skip down a little bit and you mentioned going to the moon. So you accept that we did go to the moon. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Nice segue. <laughs> Thank you for that. So this could have been an amazing story, but unfortunately we're going to have to wait a little bit for it. Um, some friends of mine at the office sent me this and there is a flat earther out there i don't want to give him too much dignity but he's trying to prove that the earth is flat and he built his own homemade rocket and he is going to launch himself high enough to take pictures to prove that the earth is in fact flat unfortunately on the day that he was going to launch he got the kibosh from the big bad government because no they are not going to let you launch off of public land no we're not gonna let you do that did he did Flatter. he file a flight plan <laughs> i don't know i don't think so well I, if you look at it, it also looks like he's not exactly great at rockets anyway well i mean he understands all this now i'm opening the article right now here's a quote directly from uh the article and this is him speaking to the associated press i don't believe in science I know about aerodynamics and fluid dynamics and how things move through the air, about the certain size of rocket nozzles and thrust. But that's not science. That's just a formula. There's no difference between science and science fiction. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, um, like, we've been. Why is this still a thing? Like, you can fly in an airplane high enough to see the curve like like this this is easier to just get on one of those <laughs> like talk, we, talk to those you know this. high altitude halo uh, uh, weather balloon halo jumpers they can see it yes. you know the ones who basically do skydiving in a spacesuit right oh yeah that was fantastic um but like it's we've been over this I feel that things like this are ignored by the public at large because it's been established and you just laugh at these people. 
and like it doesn't warrant a response. But then it gets to the point where, oh my God, we actually need to talk about this. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like in, I, 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 in I your feel comments, like... you made you made a great observation uh, about naval latitudinal navigation. Like, yeah, in yeah, order to it's, establish, it's... go for it. You can't any sailor like not only have we known that the earth is round for millennia, not not since Columbus millennia, literally millennia. (laughs) You cannot be a sailor and be able to navigate by the stars and not not know not only that the earth is round, but pretty close to how big it is, because, you know, back in the day, like if you were going to go around uh, uh, Africa to get to India from England or do any of that navigation. Basically, anytime you're going to cross the equator, guess what you lose? The North Star. All of your stars and navigation (laughs) points change. If you're going to know how far you're going north and south, you have to triangulate that on the surface of a sphere. Like, it doesn't work. And on top of that, like, if you're in a crow's nest with a looking glass, guess what you can't see of another ship that's far away? The water line. (laughs) It's like... Uh, so many things and and this okay this really bothers me because I mentioned Columbus like the whole like Columbus proved the earth was round no 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 everyone knew it then everyone knew it then (laughs) and this fantasy keeps getting repeated so that people believe it oh he did this to prove the earth was round first of all no everyone knew the earth was round he was just stupid and thought it was smaller than it was and I have no (laughs) idea how he got funding but but Anyway, if you're going to say, oh, they proved the Earth was round, then it's not Columbus, it's Magellan, because he's the one actually went all the way around. <laughs> okay, so Magellan, yes, he was he's now credited with the first person to completely navigate. It's only because he was the one who actually went the full distance. They yeah. had no idea that a giant-ass continent of the Americas existed at the time. So as they go across the Atlantic, because they can't see that, uh, that landmass due to the curvature of the Earth... Surprise, there's a giant landmass in the way. And yeah. even in this article, um, I had heard about this years ago, just like as a kind of an interesting aside, I never thought I'd be bringing this up in another science discussion, but over two th- over 2,000 years ago, um, one of the Greek, oh man, I'm going to forget his name, but he's listening to the article. Uh, it was in ancient Greece. They knew that you could see to the bottom of a deep well uh, during a certain time of the year, probably, you know, in the midsummer when the sun is the highest. So you can see all the way down to the bottom of a deep well. Elsewhere in the world, he knows that this is not possible. It'll only You can only see a certain distance down. So by using basic trig, they were able to, okay, I know where this city is um, and how far down the sun will shine during this part of the year. I know the distance between these two cities, and I you know, send someone or make the observation himself, how far down does the sun actually shine? Because it's going to come down at an angle at this point as you go north across the uh, the Earth's surface. So you figure out the angle, figure out the distance, do some math, and he actually got, it doesn't say exactly how close he got, but it just says relatively close to the actual size of the Earth. So we're talking... Yeah, I'm gonna, I mean, I would guess that it was within 5 to 10% of what's right. <laughs> Well, oh, I mean, close. 2,000 plus years ago, that's pretty close. Yeah. Oh. So, like, 
part of me wants him to have a successful launch. I really want him to do this. And I want to witness the collapse of all of his reality when he comes down and says, it is round. I don't know what is real anymore. Besides your, well, I, I, apparently he was also like a recent con, con uh, a convert to being a flat earther. So maybe he's just doing some of this for attention and funding or something. I don't know, but generally, I think you want you want to shut all this up. You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson put out a thing of a lunar eclipse that a flat earther has never seen, and it was the moon with like a little horizontal line taken out for the yeah. shadow yeah, of the disk of the Earth. <laughs> um, I mean, if flat Earth doesn't make any sense for seasons and lengths of the day and all this other stuff, it's just it's stupid. Everything. And, and um, one last one last comment before we move on to the next bit. Uh, just want to note that the rocket that he is going to be riding up on is actually steam powered. So there's that. Why don't, why don't we just shove him onto like a, a supply mission to the International Space Station and you can just write it down or something like that. And just like yeah, just a, a ride space along. tourism thing. Like get the most prominent flat earther you can and just strap them in and make them look. Oh my God. Just so, to get everybody to shut up. Shut I, up, I mean, it's please. expensive to launch somebody into orbit, but it might be worth it to make everybody shut up about this. This is <laughs> the, the most asinine thing. Uh, so the holidays are right around the corner. <laughs> and with All every... All I want for Christmas is less stupid in the world. <laughs> And with every major website and publication, everyone puts out their Christmas gift guides. So, uh, Popular Mechanics is also in that list. So, to um, excuse me. So, in the show notes, I'll be making a link to the Popular Mechanics holiday gift guide with our picks. So, how about we do this? Uh, both of us have picked two little items. And how about we go back and forth? You, me, you, me. So, Nick. Or so kinetic. What is you your first? Nick, that's fine. Okay. Well, wasn't sure. <laughs> no, it's fine. I can't go I'll behind the, the, the plume. Kinetic's real name is Nick. Okay. So, what's your first uh, goodie? What's your first gift? Uh, the one I picked from here first is uh, the thermopen. It's a, a, a probe thermometer for like grills and meat. Um, okay. I picked this one because I actually already have one. Uh, oh, really? Really nice. Uh, the the one pictured here is blue, and mine is red, so that makes a total difference, right? Um, right. Absolutely. No, it's it's really nice. Uh, it it's the the probe itself is you know nice and sturdy, so you can get it right into to where you want. It's long enough so like if you're trying to get it into something hot, you're not about to burn your hand by getting in close. It's not okay. like um, one of the other kinds of probe thermometers where you got to stick it in and wait for the like spring-loaded indicator to go to the right temperature. The temperature comes up really fast. So if you want to, say, open the oven and check the temperature on a roast, it only takes a couple seconds. Okay. Um, nice. Oh, I like this thing. It's nice. Um, cool. It's listed here as 79 bucks. I'd say if you grill enough, it's worth it. Awesome. And I've, I've, I've never had a problem with it. I've had it for years. Cool. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. All right. So my first gift is the 
So this one's a little pricey, but uh, it is the Goal Zero Venture 30 Solar Recharging Kit. And it's listing on Amazon at 170 so it's, it's pricey. But here's the thing. It is a solar, they're basically solar panels that you can wear on the back of your backpack. And I put this on because actually just recently, my wife and I, uh, we take our son out, you know, just just to do stuff. And there are a few really nice uh, nature preserves and uh, state parks in the area. And uh, we just got back into doing a little bit of geocaching. If you've ever done that, Mm-mm. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's it, you go out into the woods. There are these things called geocaches all over the world. And you can use the, uh, the ground speak geocaching app for the, the official geocache. Uh, listings and they're just little containers hidden just everywhere all over the world and all they do is give you like a brief description a little story behind the this cache which is a container that can be the size of either a pill bottle all the way up to like an ammo container and they're just here are some gps coordinates here's a little little something about it and go find it so like in the middle of like state and national parks there are these little canisters that are just hidden everywhere and uh, you can use your phone to find them or other gps locator and you just go out to the woods and see what you can find and so i put this on the list because if you're going to be using your phone depending on how much stuff you have on your phone or how old your battery is you might be losing your charge or how big your screen is that too um and just in general just the way that tech is going, everything's getting more electronic. So as much fun as it is to just go out and leave everything, you know, in the car or at home behind you, the truth of the matter is more and more things, handy little gadgetry, they're getting more and more, you know, electronic. And especially some of that, you know, uses GPS for whatever you're using it for. They all require power. So this little thing, um, it is the Nomad 7 solar panel reef. The battery itself is waterproof, excuse me, weatherproof, durable, and good for three phone charges. So you can recharge your phone, depending on its battery size, up to three times off of uh, one charge on this thing. So depending on how much you're doing outside or if you are a you know hardcore enthusiast, or you got a lot of people with you who are all doing outdoor activities, having a, you know, a mobile battery that recharges, as it says in the article, you could just hook it to your backpack. Having a little recharge station might be kind of useful. Again, it's $170, so it's not exactly cheap, but yeah, depending if you're how much of an enthusiast you are, uh, something to either look into or maybe looking into just a recharger in general, maybe a less expensive model. So, hmm. so back to you. All right. The other one that I had was the, uh, let me see here. That was the uh, Miyabi Artisan SG2 8-inch chef's knife. Um, Speaking one of, the of reasons uh, I, kitchen knives. Yes, that's, that's kind of, actually, some of the reasons I know this stuff is I used to sell knives. <laughs> oh, look at you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what was uh, that? Uh, yeah. yeah um anyway and go for it yeah a good a good table or a good chef's knife is always nice to have i would say that this one 
might be a bit overpriced, honestly. Okay. <laughs> um, $200 for an eight inch chef's knife seems much to me, but you know, if it, uh, cause you can get like a, a, a nine or 10 inch for, for a really good one for less than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, at the same time, if it, if it works with your, I, I would say some of the most important stuff there is one, make sure it, it keeps its edge. Well, um, like we talked about before, the knives are going to dull and you're going to need to resharpen them at some point. If you're going to keep the knife. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just how blades work, you know? Yeah, yeah that's, um, it happens. But if it's if it's weighted well, comfortable in your hand, because, um, damn, when you're dealing with blades, you do not want them to slip around. No, you don't. Um, it, it doesn't take a sharp edge to slice through flesh, especially if you're actually putting through pressure or putting pressure on the yeah. knife to cut through, you know, meat, which is what your finger is. If it yeah. starts to wobble around on you, that's you're gonna. It's gonna be painful. It's a little counterintuitive that the sharper knife, if you give it the proper respect, is the safer knife <clears throat> because right. it's easier to maintain control of while it's cutting. Um, but, yeah, and I uh, will also yeah. say, as my wife and I try to cook as much as we can at home, having a proper chef's knife or just a proper set of knives makes the cooking process so much easier. Oh yeah, yeah. And the chef's knife is probably going to be your go-to for a lot of situations. Just just remember, this is a chef's knife, not a butcher knife. Right. A lot of people get that wrong when they're watching Halloween. They think, "Oh, Michael Myers with the butcher knife." No, that's a chef's knife. Butcher knives okay. don't stab. Butcher knives are nice and thick, and you use those to do the like <laughs> hacking through frozen stuff and bones and really hard stuff. Do not use the chef's knife for that. The chef's knife is thin and far more delicate, okay? Yes. <laughs> Get your horror lore correct. (laughs) Also, just get your knives correct, because if you're using a chef's knife for butcher knife purposes, it's going to break and you're going to have a sharp piece flying across the kitchen. (sighs) Amateurs. (laughs) All right. Uh, Last one that we got here. This is from their 25 things that every DIYer should own. This this is actually pretty cheap. It is the Bucket Boss Tool Tote for $15. And if you're doing stuff around the house or um, this is actually be great for my wife and I doubt she even listens to this podcast so I can talk about it here. Uh, (laughs) She actually volunteers at one of the local animal shelters and she is one of the people she doesn't go to like walk the dogs. Uh, She actually volunteers on the groundskeeping crew. So she'll go out with this bucket full of gardening tools and stuff and help maintain um the grounds and prune stuff back and all that other fun stuff and right now she uses a bucket that's just filled with an assortment of hand tools so either for that or if you just just need to grab like your more than just your basic toolbox um you can actually there's a picture of this thing it's actually a wrap i guess i'll call it that folds around your common five gallon bucket. So anything you can find at Lowe's or Home Depot that's like excessively branded for a few bucks, you throw this thing on top of the bucket and it has all these extra side pockets just everywhere on the thing. It looks and like a tool belt for a bucket. It is. Ex- that's exactly what it is. And for 15 bucks, 
you know, you throw this on top of, you know, any old five gallon bucket you have laying around. If you're doing any type of home repairs or you got to go make a house call to, to someone. If it basically turns a bucket into your ultimate go bag for uh, most home repair type things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, uh, an expensive way to transform any five gallon bucket into a portable tool caddy with more than 30 pockets. And if your bucket breaks, just transfer the bucket boss to a new one. So, yeah, it's basically just a, a canvas slip that you put over top. And it's got straps and loops and pockets all over the place. So, definitely worth checking out. And especially for only 15 bucks. Um, yeah. And, I mean, hell, I, I, I've never wanted to deal with a tool belt. I'm, mm-hmm. I, would, I would be more prone to use a bucket, <laughs> honestly. All right. And then if you're in a position where you're up on a ladder... Uh, do you want to hang the bucket in easy arms reach or do you want to reach down to your tool belt? Right. So, so there's your official VGXT podcast <laughs> gift guide. You didn't tell uh, me this was going to be official. Oh, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> All right. Last item on here. And it really doesn't fit with the science and technology, but, but it is a fun fact. Thing. It's a fun fact, especially since, you and I actually had a little back and forth. I went accidentally viral regarding this <laughs> fine individual. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'm going to let you take the lead on this one, since uh, it's one of the articles that you sent over for the show. Andrew W.K.'s yeah, sure. album cover art reveal. Yeah. So he Andrew W.K. has been on tour, and, and you and I have had, like you said, a bit of a back and forth on Twitter, and then it... Yes. <laughs> how did that go? Like you said, hey, Andrew WK follows me. Fun fact. And then I said, aren't all Andrew WK facts party facts and all party facts fun facts? So isn't that kind yeah, of redundant? Something like that. And then I drew a Venn diagram of this <laughs> where all fact, uh, 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 let's see, I'll just go from in to out. You got Andrew WK facts are an entire subset of party facts or an entire subset of fun facts or an entire subset of facts. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> and it went up. He retweeted it like at the end of the night. So it was up front on his Twitter feed for like a day. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's so now that Andrew is... WK follows his post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so fun party fact Andrew WK follows us both on Twitter. <laughs> <sighs> and. He's been touring and announced that he was going to have a new album out. And uh, it was within the week he unveiled cover art for the new album. And it's a little trippy. I mean, not certainly the the weird serpentine dragon in the bushes on the lower right's trippy, but everything else is like kind of, you know, starlight and. I don't know. I want to say impressionist, but I don't think I'm using the word right in this case. <laughs> yeah, I would be the last person to ask you to get the the actual uh, art theme style descriptor. So it's correct. like he's yeah, it looks like he's standing in like a I don't know rain slicked. It's not raining, but it looks like the the street he's on is wet in a residential neighborhood, and yeah. you can see stars and planets overhead. There's a tree to his right. For some reason, there's someone standing in a window across the street. I don't know what that's about. Mm-hmm. And he's it's a it's a picture of him probably from a concert or something. And he's he's looking kind of down into his left. And there you see kind of in the bushes, this weird snake dragon thing. Dragon thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going not on. Into- he's basically in the <laughs> middle of the street of 
what could be characterized as every town America. Mm-hmm. And actually that pose, he actually um, posed for that. Uh, there's a video a little farther down in the article where it talks about him meeting the, the artists that do that. And they actually took uh-huh. photographs of him standing like that. And they use that ah. as like the basis for the, for the art. I still think it's weird that he tucks his uh, microphone into the front of his pants like that. But... Yeah, that, that's weird. That's, that's weird because everything else about this photo, this cover art is it's actually pretty cool and pretty artistic. Um, yeah. The art is done very well. Uh, like you said, it's kind of a rain slick street, but maybe, maybe after a storm or something like that. Yeah. Um, how this and guy you, is you, clear. And you but can tell it's supposed well. to be that. That's not just supposed to be the color of the street because the, the person in the window across the street, they're backlit and that's reflected on the street. So Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, and so the it's, porch light from the other room, uh, the other houses too. Yep. Huh. So it's very, it's very calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very almost serene and peaceful, but then he has his microphone stuck in the front of his pants. So that's a little <laughs> out of place. Really it, it actually looks like going. an album cover that I think would fit for um, 55 Cadillac, his uh, piano right. solo album. Just because, like you said, it does look very serene, and that's kind of a a mellow album. Okay. Yeah, did not get a chance to check that one out. But um, so, yeah, like I said, there's a YouTube video of him meeting up with the artist. And apparently these two people, uh, Boris Vallejo and Julie Bell, are fantasy artists. And the story of how they met was pretty cool. Uh, did you get a chance to watch the video? That one I did not. Okay. Highly suggest it. Turns out they actually met at the gym where Julie was competing in bodybuilding. And Boris, he's just going for his workouts. And he would ask some of the bodybuilders if they would be his model for him to paint. And like I said, they're both like fantasy artists and... That's basically how they met because they mentioned or Julie mentioned to Boris that yes, I do some art as well, and that's how their relationship grew. And they go into a little bit of their art design process of how Julie uh, would do a lot of pencil work at first, and then kind of finish that off, and that becomes like her basis for her oil paints. And she paints, she uses her oils on top of her pencil sketchings and artistry, and that eventually becomes the full. Uh, painting and as Andrew WK grew up uh, reading comic books he started noticing uh, their names in like the bottom corner of a lot of the artwork and there was Mm. something going on he was asked to either host a show I'm forgetting the exact details but um, he saw that the the artists were going to be these two people that he had adored and that's how they ended up hooking up and meeting and organizing a shoot and commissioning the album art cover or the album hmm. cover art. Words matter. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, there's a new cover art for Andrew WK's upcoming album. We got a track listing towards the end. Yep. And always uh, oh, nice to have more party music. I know. He. Like he knows exactly where he fits in the musical <laughs> landscape. He knows exactly what he's doing. And it's it really is refreshing to have him on your Twitter feed because as joking and sarcastic I don't know if sarcastic is the appropriate word, but 
it's still so incredibly positive. He is still such mm-hmm. like an incredibly positive person. And it's refreshing yeah. to have that on your Twitter feed every once in a while. Like just like just because completely self-indulgent, like he'll just randomly tweet out a video of him zooming in on his pizza slice guitar just because (laughs) because it's always time for pizza yeah i mean that was uh andrew wk was the inspiration for our uh halloween uh uh, our team's halloween decorations uh at the office this year we did nice we, we we just went completely um atypical and instead of doing like oh we're gonna do something no we're gonna do something totally different and it's just gonna be like party and we set it up it was like pull this lever to start the party and everyone was primed and like the moment this this lever was pulled you know we hit a couple things like andrew wk music video started and we all just jumped up and and like throwing (laughs) confetti we had like rigged up a confetti cannon with some rubber bands and you know, a couple people had toilet paper. They started going. Someone was playing beer pong with ginger ale. We had a couple people do a pizza eating contest, which, by the way, the guy who swore he'd be able to win lost. <laughs> <gasps> oh, like, my God. Guys, dead. <laughs> well, that was just funny because when, when we were setting it up, it's like, OK, who wants to just wolf down a pizza? And he's like, I'll do that. I can wolf down a pizza so fast. I'm like, hey, we want to try to get someone else to do a contest for that. And and the other guy won. The, 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 the guy who said he could eat really fast, like grabbed a bit too much and, and kind of had to slow down. So he didn't. Show. Oh, the pacing. But the pacing is required. Yeah. Yeah. And we got like just white t-shirts for everybody. I got long hair. I got some fake blood to go down my nose, down my chin, onto my shirt. Oh, I made a little, we had a, we had a a pumpkin decorating contest. I I redid that there. I gave the the pumpkin like a little wig and put a face on him, put more fake blood on that. Gave it a little white shirt cut out of paper. (laughs) That is amazing. uh, We did karaoke and I sang party hard. There you go. Which, by the way, singing party hard and trying to dance like Andrew WK, you look at there's like, yeah, that's exhausting. That is oh, absolutely exhausting. I could barely keep it up for one song. Oh man! And people were like, and we did carry we did karaoke just with the the YouTube video, and people would usually like have the lyrics up there, and I go party hard. I just put up the video, no lyrics, and they're like, oh, you're going without lyrics. It's party hard. There's like 17 words in it. Yeah, there's 17 different words. <laughs> It's an anthem, people. It's an anthem. We got this. <laughs> All right. So time for an Audible interlude. For you, the listeners of the Video Game Crosstalk podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash VGXTPod and sign up for your free trial and download one of over 180,000 tiles, such as Artemis by Andy Weir, narrated by Rosario Dawson. And this book is essentially a, uh, from the publisher summary, the best-selling author of The Martian returns with an irresistible near-future thriller, a heist story set on the moon. So this sounds pretty cool. And were you able to either read or go see The Martian? I did not. I will. That's unfortunate. Uh, Highly recommend it. Absolutely highly recommend it. It was a great story. Really, really well done movie. And this is definitely something that I personally will be picking up. And apparently (sighs) Gabe from Penny Arcade had trouble getting through the Artemis book because it's a lot of big words. So if you're hearing it rather than reading it, that might be easier. 
Hey, there you go. So just another example for you to go to audibletrial.com slash VGXTPod and download this audiobook for free. So, uh, moving on into some gaming and geekery. Now, we're just going to, we're not going to dive deep into this. I just want to talk about a little bit of why this keeps coming up as a thing and some of the business decisions that probably went on behind this. So, recently there was an entire EA slash Battlefront 2 nonsense, I'm going to call it. And it all revolves around loot boxes and microtransactions. And if you are in the gaming community and you do not know about this uh, epic failure of a launch, uh, you need to not call yourself a gamer. Maintain blissful ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was everywhere. So I don't really want to get into it um, in this specific instance. So... Now, Kinetic, you work in the gaming industry, so give me a little bit of like business background for some of the talks that surround this. Well, I think to kind of step it back a little bit, the, the video games industry right. is in kind of a weird spot right now, and there's a lot of discussion that goes on, not necessarily on an in, on every individual project level, but if you look at the, the industry as a whole, you know, for a released game, prices have remained pretty stagnant for quite some time at about 60 bucks. Okay. How do you try to compensate for that? Because development costs go way up. And there's some people who's like, oh, development costs don't go up because budgets are the same and, and, and this and that and the other. It's like, okay, but they're not taking other stuff into account. It's like, okay, well, the budget for this publisher is the same, but they're releasing like one third as many titles. So yeah, budgets mm-hmm. are going up. Don't lie to yourself about that. Mm-hmm. Um, particular for these big releases. And when you get to big releases like this, things get really complicated. So budgets are going up. The price remains stagnant. How do you make things meet? Do you sell more units or do you find new ways to monetize? And rightly or wrongly, people try to add in-app purchases or other stuff. Now, um, when it comes to loot boxes specifically, I don't have much of an opinion at the moment, mm-hmm. but in terms of the conversation of how do you get money out of it, like there's some people who, like Jim Sterling is notorious for his quote, fee to pay, where you buy a game and there's in-app purchases within it. I don't necessarily mind that in certain instances. For example, the, the example I always give is uh, Street Fighter Three Online Edition where you can either unlock Gil by playing the game a bunch and trying to beat it with every character, and that's an absolute pain, or you can have spent $2 and unlock Gil. And Gil's a son of a bitch. (laughs) Why would you not (laughs) want to just try him to have some fun? Uh, If you don't have the time, because as we get older, time is a more precious resource to us than money much of the time, sure, I'll Mm -hmm. kick a couple bucks to unlock this guy. Are you going to keep trying to would you prefer that content be walled off by skill and progression systems that require time that some customers don't have? Or are you begrudging that there is a way around that with money? Okay, 
that focuses on single player stuff. You go to multiplayer stuff. Okay. At this point you're talking about, oh, is it pay to win? Well, if someone buys something that gives them a more pleasant user experience and they're, I don't know, skilled, skilled or not skilled, whatever, then you have to rely on the matchmaking algorithm. Is that doing Mm. its job well? Because chances are, if you're talking, quote, pay to win, unquote, in these environments, you're not talking about like world champion, like world leaderboard kind of people. Uh, So really, it's all all of this is relative. You're not going into an absolute I am paying to be the best in the world. And the point of all of this really is all of these are questions that we have to figure out. How do we make everything make mathematical sense or rather financial sense? Um, What is acceptable? And a lot of people, a lot of people really get it mixed up between the publishers and the developers and so forth. What, uh, who's responsible for what? And a lot of the times people like just reflexively blame the publisher and praise the developer. And I will just tell you straight up that is, it's not never true, but it's not a hundred percent true either. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are times where the, the, the publisher is trying to save the developers from themselves. These things happen and the publisher doesn't always get their way and problems happen from it. And then the publisher gets blamed for yeah, there's not doing what they were trying to do in the first place. And the developer was at fault there. Uh, so it, it's just, we're in a stage right here where we, as an industry are trying to figure out a new way to make these things make sense. These loot box things are one effort and it's in the process of generating a backlash, which means whether or not, if you look at it and say, Oh, this business would have been fine. This business is or is not taking advantage of customers. There's arguments about taking advantage of gambling tendencies in people. Maybe, maybe not. Like I said, I don't have a fully fleshed out and informed opinion on that particular aspect of it, mm-hmm. but it is still a question. And when these backlashes happen, you have to say, well, look, clearly there is a miscalculation in terms of what the market is willing to support in term in exchange for providing this service because you know a lot of people say oh i don't like games as a service guess what if you're connected to a server your game is a service that's yeah. it or if you're expecting any updates it's a service right yeah. it's not a box product actually- anymore <laughs> We're going to bring it back a little bit. Uh, there was a recent tweet that I retweeted, and it was, would you pay $100 for a Super Mario game? Because with inflation, that's how much they would cost today. And there was an article that came out a while, a few months back where Street Fighter II Turbo was getting a re-release uh, for the Super Nintendo, just because, I guess. <laughs> and... It was coming out at like ninety or a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and they're they're doing a limited run. I don't know how many they were making, but you know it seemed like a lot, and that sparked a discussion uh, between some friends of mine, and we were able to find these old. I don't know if it was KB Toys or Kmart or some old like repository of business flyers and retail flyers and stuff like that somewhere on the internet such a repository exists and it was from the mid 90s showing street fighter 2 and a few other games and these games were like 60 50 and like 70 dollars for a base game so we're talking super nintendo 
mid 90s, $70 for a standard game. Fast forward 20 something years, and games are now locked at $60 for AAA titles. And then you talk about like the development costs. Well, I just listened to another podcast, uh, The Super Best Friends, had on uh, the guy from Naughty Dog. I'm forgetting his name. Last name is Cher. But uh, talk about how he worked on some games with Naughty Dog, and the entire staff was maybe 25 people. My God, you beat a game today, and the staff involved is comparable to a blockbuster movie these days. But that's a lot yeah, of people. I mean, the- Well, the other thing is you're talking about staff on the game. Is that just a development team? Are you also talking about marketing and PR, HR, community support? I don't think think, like PR, I don't think accounting and other, you know, other business type positions are included in these credits, you know, QA. And Uh, if you go for a console release, your QA team's probably going to be more than 20 people. Oh, oh, I bet. And I'm sure that, you know, depending on what city these, you know, studios are based in, you're, you got to pay a salary that is appropriate for their skill level and the local economy, local living conditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like up here in Albany, when we tried to compare, you know, pay rates and how much an apartment costs or something like that, we just assumed that cost of living in New York City is double of that what we paid here. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, New York City is no joke. Um, my brother, over a decade ago, uh, lived down in the city, and he was paying like his share of the rent was like twenty eight hundred a month, or something like that. Eesh. Yeah, <laughs> you know his share of the rent was, you know, two thousand dollars. So house for that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, one of his other apartments I helped him move into, um, I was confused because his bedroom didn't have a closet in it. And then I remembered as I walked through the, the quote, living room uh, part of his apartment, there were these two armoires just kind of hanging out. I'm like, oh, your closet isn't even in your room because mm-hmm. that's how tiny these places are. So take that into consideration when you're talking about, you know, anyone at any level you're gonna to have to pay them a comparable amount for one their skill level and two their you know cost of living within that city and that there's going to be literally hundreds of people working on these you know triple a releases yeah it's expensive i don't care how many mm-hmm. thousand or million copies you sell it's still going to be hard to recoup the initial cost let alone have any profit especially if and uh, the main game that I've been playing these days is Destiny. You're going to have continued support, continued updates, and managed servers to play these games on. Because that's the, you, maintaining those servers isn't cheap either. Like, it, right. unless you're a really small game, like a a pretty modest game, a a, a very modest game, could probably have easily in the five digits a month, like tens of thousands of dollars a month to mm-hmm. just keep servers up. Right. And that's a modest game. Right. So, so how do you, how do you financially pull this off? And that's where microtransactions okay. come in. Yeah. And, yep. and, and, so and okay. So here, here's another thing to, to, to consider with that. So if you're looking at a, 
release as $60. Okay. Well, one of the things is, okay, do you raise the price to come in? Okay. Well, if you raise the price to come in, you're going to get fewer people buying it. So that might not balance itself out. So game developers, you're probably going to be a little bit weary of that. Um, and in turn, that's also why there's like, you know, uh, collector's editions and, and, uh, mm-hmm. pre-orders and stuff to try to lock in. We know that, that this transaction is going to happen. You can rely mm-hmm. on that revenue or trying to get a little bit of extra stuff to, uh, give a little bit of extra stuff to people to get a little bit of extra revenue. But on the other hand, if you go free to play, you're reducing the barrier to entry and you're removing the limit of how much people can pay. And that's one of the kind of funny things you ran into uh, with free-to-play games. You actually have to be careful making the game to not get in the way of people trying to give you money. Because sometimes <laughs> there can be progression gateways. Like, okay, you got to get this far to be able to unlock this stuff. And like some of that is dependent on being able to get to the store where people can spend money on your game and give you money. <laughs> I've worked on games where they actually got in the way of that they were like actually preventing players from being able to pay them and it made the business suffer to some extent yeah um, um oops. It, it, yeah and it's, so that's that's one of those really quick truisms again with this stuff you might take you might you can kind of veer off into discussions of what's pro- a proper level of stuff are you taking advantage of gambling addiction shopping addictions mm. is it and that's a much higher level conversation than i'm equipped to properly discuss yeah, you know what it, I mean? it, that's that's a huge other topic. But if you're just looking at it as why is the business trying to do that? That's one of the reasons why there are new expenses. There are recurring expenses that the businesses have to be able to attend to. Mm. And I mean, people say greedy publishers all the time, but guess who has to front the money for development? For the most part, it's a publisher. And if you don't have any publishers, a lot of developers aren't going to get the investment funds they need to actually bring games out. So, yeah, you're going to have someone like EA turning to uh, 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 the, the uh, what was it, Ragtag, saying, hey, FIFA makes a billion dollars a year. Where's your version of that? Well, they want to know, is this like something that's going to be a tentpole that we can use to fund other games that may or may not work? Mm-hmm. Or is this the risky one? You know, like. You need to be able to ask those questions to address and examine the topic in order to just understand what the upside is on the business side. Yeah. Is and this is this is the kind of thing that kind of sets me off about some of this stuff. Like I said, I can go off on this for a while right. in, in in the notes. Um if people just have this knee-jerk reaction thinking they understand something and this isn't necessarily to say that their their uh instincts are incorrect necessarily i'm not going to say that but most of the time their reasoning is incomplete right there's just stuff that they they are not taking into account that if you are going to have a fully thought out and reasoned Mm -hmm. argument you have to include these things so you can't just say oh publishers are greedy no I say it all the time. Business got a business, so someone's got to pay the piper at some point. These things aren't charity. I need to keep a roof over my oh, yeah. head. You know? Yeah, and, let, and let's be honest. All businesses are in the business of making money. The only thing that difference is how they go about that. Mm-hmm. Is EA an evil corporate greed monster? Well, maybe, but let's you know, back this up a little bit and just go over the, all the things that we just said. You know, there's, there's a lot going on here. Microtransactions and loot boxes 
they're the only ways that these companies really can stay in business and still maintain a proper level of quality product, really. So, yeah, I'm gonna break uh, one, the cycle one right the thing there. I want to mention we said still got like a lot of stuff to move on with this, but I mean, in general, all right, development costs are like so through the roof, and game prices for a full game haven't increased in well, a good 20 something years. It's expensive, and these are things that uh, people are going to have to work out. Much smarter brains than mine are going to be the ones to figure out where that precise you know, balance is it in this particular instance, maybe EA with battlefront two, they went a little too far with it and they need to scale it back. Maybe, um, that's just the way it's going to be. We're, and people we're going to need to get used to having some form of microtransactions within games at this point, if it's going to maintain a sustained presence. So one really quick thing I'd like to, to just cap off with. Do it up. Um, it's, it's, not all, it's not all one way. Uh, I will say that I have heard someone who has been very important in uh, uh, the history of EA after they were there uh, refer to them as the evil empire. So, so <laughs> this was a long time ago, but, you know, it, it's it's. They don't have the just because I'm saying you have to consider the side doesn't mean they are innocent. I'm just saying (laughs) consider things. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying that they are the evil empire, but they might have a track record in this instance. (laughs) (laughs) But but that that's fine. So moving on. Um, as always, I have a Netflix (laughs) discussion to uh to this. We'll just touch on these really quick. Uh, no more new Marvel shows will be coming to Netflix as Disney wants to buy Fox and complete their own streaming service. Uh, that kind of sucks for me in particular. Um, what are your thoughts on that? It's a sign of the market for streaming services developing into another phase of its existence so we've had like youtube as the free version as your sort of public access streaming Mm -hmm. which has turned out to be you know tremendous for both good and ill and then you wind up with again business got a business who's going to pay the piper adpocalypse stuff oh yeah we are definitely at the adpocalypse phase my god and netflix as your paid premium service your your you know cable or hbo kind of a thing Mm mm-hmm but okay, we've learned that that business model is successful. And when you have a successful disruptive business model, well, it was successful because it was in the blue ocean. If you know about blue ocean, red ocean strategy, most people tend to compete in red ocean because that's where, you know, the meat is you go to a blue ocean, there's no competition there and you hope to find something. Netflix found something. And now other people want to go there and feed off the meat, Mm -hmm. turn the blue water red. And so Disney owns their IP. They think maybe they can have their own individual branded stuff. This is also why you have like Star Trek discoveries on the CBS streaming service. And you got Amazon streaming service, Hulu streaming service. Uh, other people are trying to do their own stuff. It And while as a consumer, it can be more, it can certainly be more convenient to have everything in the same place. I don't know exactly what this will wind up meaning uh, if your selection becomes fragmented. 
I am not prepared to prognosticate on that level. Right. In the short term, it's certainly a bummer. I don't know if it will remain a bummer. That is not me saying that things will get better from this. It's possible that everyone will just say, oh, Disney has all these big IPs they're worth going for. Or, you know, HBO, people sign into HBO because they want Game of Thrones and and other stuff. Okay, are these destination shows or are are all of our... all of our media consumption in the future are going to be more a la carte. Like, okay, I'm going to wait for it to end. I'm going to sign up for one month and I'm going to binge watch like three shows over the course of a month and then shut it off. Hmm. Cause that's the flip side to streaming service. It lets you binge. If you're going to binge, is it something you need to keep right up with? I mean, uh, that, I don't think really Disney is going to have something as compelling as Game of Thrones where to keep up with the cultural conversation, everybody is going to have to watch the latest episode right away. Mm-hmm. all right so speaking of things that are sorry like i went off again didn't i no that is totally cool and i encourage that on a, a video game cross <laughs> it's all about the spinning off on the tangents but speaking of destination shows so yeah game of thrones is definitely one and on netflix you also have stranger things which just as a quick aside uh it was recently renewed for a third season because of course it was renewed for a third season that's not a surprise no no that's not a surprise to anyone but one thing i i fear for it and as we're talking about game of thrones one thing i'm liking about game of thrones in particular and i will confess i'm a filthy casual that did not read the books so i'm just going along with what the show is showing me but being that it is a book series and it does have a planned end and the show also has a planned end all of the storylines and story arcs are wrapping up appropriately this does not happen in many tv series because they like to ride it out and see how long they can keep the income flowing in as in like the shield or sons of anarchy or uh, i watched dexter over netflix and towards the end it, they just seem to we're going to keep these different story arcs emerging so we can keep on adding content indefinitely in the future and they started having some really weird random story arcs coming out i really hope that doesn't happen with stranger things and it may be better suited to end on season three. What's your thought on that statement? Well, I mean, I th- just looking at what we have so far, like season two wasn't as strong as season one, mm-hmm. but it was still good. It was still good uh, uh, storytelling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on what ideas they have you know um season one if it was completely standalone and there was never season two it'd be fine if season two uh uh, didn't lead to a season three that'd be fine i mean both of them kind of ended with uh sequel hooks yep um but they the the stories they tell in a season are self-contained enough at least you know from the sample size of two uh that i can take it as it is and if they end, I'm good. If mm-hmm. they continue, I'm good. And I'm also someone, just my own point of view when consuming media, I I don't look at a sequel or a continuation of a story if it's subpar to have retroactively um, 
reduced the quality of what came before it. So if if they get sequelitis and they they go up to a season six and and everything's gotten really formulaic, like, well, season one was still really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a bit similar to uh, twenty four. I think the first season of twenty four was amazing. Oh, and I haven't watched all of the subsequent seasons, but it kind of just kind of went downhill. It's like, okay, this is, it's, this is happening. It's happening. Okay. And it's, it, from my perspective, there was a lot less creativity and ingenuity in the storytelling in 24 and subsequent seasons. But if you watch season one, it was still very interesting and it stands up. Does season five not being as good as season one make season one less good? No, no, absolutely not. So if they keep going, let the let the kids let the AV club have all the adventures they want between now and when the show becomes unprofitable. Okay, I had to throw a Simpsons reference. <laughs> That's fine. All right, we were going to be pushing ahead a little bit. We have some listener questions. So, first question. And we'll just get this one out of the way really quick. This is coming from Judge Greg at Judge Greg is Law. Why doesn't QA simply test exhaustively and fix all the bugs in video games? Yeah, Greg is only asking that to irritate me because <laughs> the same question irritates him. Uh, well, I already answered part of this. QA isn't the one who fixes it. <laughs> yeah. Also, the fact of the matter is, no software beyond trivial complexity and even some software of trivial complexity is is going to be free of bugs it doesn't matter yeah. like Basically, the logic gets complex enough that there's going to be something wrong somewhere okay. so you're never going to get completely clear and i encourage everyone maybe your engineers aren't able to fix it either so right. i encourage everyone to take an introduction to coding class just just that like a free online be it through a MOOC or something like that just learn just a little bit about writing code and see how difficult it is just to write a simple like calculator code in like the most basic language it is easy to see where everything can go wrong as soon as you start adding anything remotely complex so Thanks, Greg, for that question. Moving on, uh, the Monster Closet at the Monster Closet PC. How do devs decide what can be fixed pre and post launch? And I'm going to assume that's more of a prioritization issue. What do you thought? What do you think? Yeah, um, some of it's not necessarily what can be fixed because if it can or can't be fixed, I mean that's you know, launch is kind of. It, it, that's irrespective of launch, but uh, yeah, in terms of prioritization, the stuff that is to be fixed before launch is, is all of your very critical stuff, your your mission critical things. Um, aesthetics generally would not uh, raise to that level, but and some crashes aren't either if if they're odd enough. But you want crashes, anything destructive, and these these. Prioritizations are also going to vary based on your team or your project, you know, what you're um, targeting towards. But 
you don't want it. There's also legal stuff. Anything that would violate the law, yeah, that has to be fixed. Otherwise, yeah. you're creating exposure for your company. And that's just no good. <laughs> yeah, let's take care um, of the legal. Anything that deals with personally identifiable information or money, financial transactions, any of that, no, that has to be fixed. Yep. Because not only is that putting your customers at risk, that is screwing with your revenue stream. <laughs> All you do not mess with that. the money. Rule number one, do not mess with the money. Then there's there's some stickier stuff like, okay, is it a network thing? Okay, well, what is your upper end for expected traffic? Are, are, are you having some bandwidth issues, load issues? Okay, well, if you're having a load issue, what is the level at which you're starting to see problems? What is the severity of the problems? Are you going into a full worldwide launch? Are you doing a limited beta test? Okay, well, if you're doing a limited beta test, depending on how you're presenting it to people, maybe just leave the problem there and get a bunch of load on it to see just how bad it can be in a live environment. Sure, there's there simulations go. that you can run, but sometimes live traffic is going to behave differently because it's coming from all different IP addresses. You're going to have different pings and everything you have to adjust for and packet loss and blah, blah, blah. And that's why some during some beta tests, you'll actually see like the, the community manager say, all right, everyone log in at this time so we mm -hmm. can stress test the system. Yeah. So the really all of that said, the really short answer is going to be, prioritization based on how impactful it's going to be for the user, given the expectations at this stage. There you go. That's the short version. Uh, we also have... That's also up to the producer, really, for the most part. Oh. Everyone has a conversation, but you just kind of get together, have a conversation. Maybe QA has to make sure that, no, this thing really is that impactful and we need to increase the priority because people don't quite understand the scope and context of an issue, but that's why you have a conversation. And go. then out of that, you have a game plan and you triage stuff and, and off you go and hopefully everything's good. All right. So coming from Osbones 83, uh, what was your favorite game from 2017 and what are you looking forward to in 2018? So hmm. uh, for me, I've had kind of this issue by the name of Jacob and <laughs> My gaming time has been severely limited this past year uh, because I chose to be a dad and actually try to maintain a healthy household. So <laughs> um, my game of 2017, I don't want to just default over to Destiny 2, <clears throat> excuse me, Destiny 2, even though that's pretty high up there. Aside from that obvious one, my gaming has been pretty limited this year, so I might have to go with... No, I'm sticking with Destiny 2. <laughs> yeah. Stick with Destiny That's 2. That's fair. What about you? What's your game of 2017 so far? The one that I am pl have played the most and probably one that I will have the most time in that came out this year would be Tekken 7. Because I'm a big Tekken fan. Nice. But in terms of actual quality and impact and stuff that um, I think is artistically significant, I would say Hellblade. That is one I uh, really that want has to play. A lot. Yeah, it's it's worth checking out um, for a, a, a number of levels. Um, I, I I appreciate games that try to poke at the borders of what video games can be as an art form mm -hmm. and what they can do to tell a story in a unique way. And uh, actually we have a bit of a 
I, I suppose you could call it a bit of a sub-series, a recurring topic on Behind the Line Radio, where we kind of explore like the differences between games and movies and, and other uh, wow. forms of storytelling. Very cool. We just had one recently about mental illness, and we talked a bit about Hellblade Nice within that. So okay. that's my answers. And uh, so what are you looking forward to in 2018? Hmm. Oddly enough, I'm going to have to say that uh, I don't really have anything that's caught my eye right now. So, okay, I, I mean, yeah, see what happens. R- rarely do I I really look forward to stuff. Uh, stuff that I've really looked forward to is stuff like um, the Last Guardian, uh, Killer Seven okay. back in the day, just because that was so weird. The Tekken, because I'm a huge Tekken fan, but you know. And unless something like really catches my eye, I'm like, okay, neat. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's not oh, something I would say. Saying? I am really looking forward to this. Isn't there a new character coming to Tekken? Uh, Geese Howard Is just got released, and there's Noctis from Final Fantasy 15 okay. will be coming. Yeah, because I just saw like, oh, Noctis doesn't really fit in the a fighting game scheme or in the Tekken. And I'm thinking to myself, when I used to play Tekken, there was that little tiny dinosaur guy gone. And yes. Dr. Baskanovich, and... the old man who can't stand up all the way. And this is also a, oh, a, a yeah. game. This is also a game that has a fighting kangaroo. Uh, <laughs> but... Right. So Noctis will fit just fine, people. Yeah. He'll don't, be okay. Don't take Tekken that seriously. The creators don't. <laughs> it's fine. Right. It's fine. Uh yeah, so as far as for me for 2018, uh, I am new to the PlayStation side. I recently, I'm a recent convert over from Xbox over to PlayStation. So um, I've been kind of backtracking on a bunch of PlayStation exclusives when I first got my uh, PS4. So I, I've actually gone back and played, uh, what was it? Uh, Infamous Second Son I got to play and also The Last Guardian I picked up for fairly cheap. So I'm all about trying to find whatever PS exclusive I can get my hand on and kind of work some time into just because I've been missing out on all these really cool and interesting uh, game series. So what I'm looking forward to is the new God of War, where they take him into the Nordic mythology. Hmm. Uh, I have not played a God of War game. They look brutal and fun. And this one in particular just looks badass <laughs> and i can't think of a better place for Kratos to go uh other than the land of the vikings so that should be that's what i'm looking forward to oh I, i'm gonna um, uh, uh amend my answer a little bit uh a game that mm-hmm. i am looking forward to although i don't know if this is ever going to happen or if it's just weird vaporware and if it does come out it's probably not even going to come out in 2018 but there's this um uh, Francis Ford Coppola is actually associated with this to some extent, but an Apocalypse Now game. Ooh! And they're, they they like had a Kickstarter that didn't get its funding. They said, okay, we're going to stop this and we're going to try to do something else. I don't know if development is actually continuing. They have some some names with some weight associated with it, but maybe if they're just like, oh yeah, I'll chip in something, or if they're like, I don't know. But mm-hmm. the initial stuff sounds like it would be. Like I said, an interesting expansion of what video games as a medium could do with storytelling and generating feelings in the player and, and so forth. So that's something yeah, I'm curious absolutely. to see where it goes if anything ever actually happens with it. 
Yeah. And this would be like an entire, you said it's a running theme where you have a, a theme going on behind the lines um, as a different storytelling platform and medium. I just completed last night, actually, uh, Tales from the Borderlands. Um, and this is my first full playthrough of a Telltale game mm-hmm. as far as um, these like choose your own adventure episodic things. And it was amazing. Uh, I am thoroughly impressed with how much of a quality story that this game was able to play. And I can definitely see where some of your decisions may or may not really matter, but you get to choose kind of like how these interactions go. Cause I know you need to kind of split off when certain decisions are made, but you still need to bring it back around so that the story as a full arc can continue. Mm -hmm. But like I said, that's a whole nother different conversation. So yeah. Apocalypse now as a game, that would be, I need to look that up. Yeah, I'll be looking that up later. All right, last question, last listener question from Aaron Sturdivant. And Aaron, thank you so much for hanging out with me at the Saratoga Comic-Con. He's a personal friend of mine, and he was able to hang out with me at my table uh, during a Comic-Con not too long ago for both full days. And he asked the question, if you could only play one video game for the next five years, what would it be? And I'm just going to default right back to Destiny at this point. Uh, my life, my video gaming life has been revolving around that series for the past, well, I guess it's a series now, for the past like three or four years. And just the the sheer social aspect of it and the continuous expansions and whatnot. I basically now understand why PC gamers still play World of Warcraft and their other MMOs. Mm -hmm. Like, I totally get it now. And this is only, like, the console version of the game. So, for me, it's an easy choice at this point, like, given my situation. Destiny, all the way. Uh, Kinetic, what about you? Um... I suppose, <laughs> I suppose I could answer something along those lines and say City of Heroes, but City of Heroes doesn't exist anymore. But if I could pick one, I can I can pick Whoa. one that is an MMO that doesn't exist anymore, then I might pick that one. Uh, okay. Other, other than that, uh, Tekken is probably the game that, that I go back to the most. So. Hmm. Um, nice. Yeah. That, that would probably so be- do you play against the computer or do you go into online matches? I go into games? online matches. Um, I, I'm, I'm hardly like uh, tournament quality, um, but mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm better than the computer almost entirely. So. Okay. <laughs> no, all right. Excellent. Um, or, or, all right. I'm sorry. And- one more. Uh, if, if I could, mm-hmm. and it had, if we're going into fantasy stuff, WWF, no mercy on the N64 with, uh, an online mode. Nice. All right. It's time for the final five questions of this episode. These are five questions that range from irrelevant to irreverent kinetic. Here we go. First question, coffee or tea? Tea, green tea. If I'm going to pick from from all really? the stuff, yeah. Um, you put anything in it, or just drink it straight up? Uh, I would just drink it like it. It's not something that I drink on my own, like at home. But if I'm going mm-hmm. to pick from stuff from, say, while I'm out at a restaurant, if I'm going to say my favorite way to consume coffee or tea, it would be like green tea while getting sushi. There you go. Oh, you classy. <laughs> all right. Second question. We know you're a gamer. Do you play any tabletop games? Oh, absolutely. Uh, 
love the uh like Rio Grande games, uh Dungeons and Dragons. Uh it's it's actually pretty neat with uh um Stranger Things kind of reviving a whole bunch of interest in Dungeons and Dragons and you know Oh, I know. All kinds of stuff around these days. You, like, can, you don't even have to be in the same room with people. You can use like World20.net to play with people remotely mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of other stuff like that. I got a, I actually have a couple of campaigns that we play through Roll20. So that's awesome. Nice. Uh, Very nice. One of my favorite board uh, tabletop games is uh, Alan R. Moon's uh, Union Pacific. Uh, I love Power Grid. Uh, I've played a game called Formula Day, which is like a car racing game that that uh, at one uh, one place where I worked, we actually ran a season of these races. So, oh wow! I mean, and you can get different boards that are different um, race tracks and so forth. It, yeah, I like tabletop games. Send me a link on that one. That sounds. Wild. Send me a link on that Formula Day. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, final three questions in here. Um, and since your name is Kinetic, I decided to go with a the theme of the Force. So, since Kinetic is the uh, the energy of motion, we're gonna you know, stick with a little Force type thing for these next three questions. Sure. So, for the first first of this uh, final trio, question number three: If you were to use the Force, as in Star Wars mythology, would you be of the light or the dark? If you're taking this long, I'm going to assume dark and just ashamed to say it. Well, the thing is, like like I said earlier, I try to look at things. I I tend to look at things at a bit of different angle, and I kind of like the idea (laughs) of what the gray Jedi or something that try to balance something or whatever. But that's kind of just, you know, uh, 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 power fantasy kind of. Uh, okay jerkiness um no in 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 actual practicality i i i I would hope that if given that ability i would be (laughs) respectful enough of other people that i wouldn't use the abilities to like intrude on privacy and stuff which would put me on the light side I, I, what I, I don't what know I would if hope, I could though, is that, that I would have the ability. Something that I've always wanted to be able to do uh, is, is something I refer to as the uh, static shock of epiphany, where if you see someone doing mm-hmm. something stupid, you would able to give them just a mild discomfort, like a static shock, and at the same time ah. inject into them the perspective of to let them understand why what they were doing was wrong or stupid. Uh, and I don't oh, that know would if that would be useful. a light or dark ability, <laughs> if that were something that you could do with the force. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh question number four do you have any to your knowledge a gaming moment of blatant overkill um yes although primarily mm-hmm. it's against the computer uh one okay. of the one that comes to mind there's a flash game called dice wars it's a little bit like risk but you can take over like all of these spots on the map and I'll do stuff where I will get everything down. There's only one opponent left. It's only on one tile. And I've basically just built up the rest of the, the world, the rest of the map, and just <laughs> letting it try to break out over and over again. <laughs> it's a bit like the um, 
uh, Goldie Cat from Deep Space Nine. True victory isn't just defeating them. It's making them recognize they were wrong to ever have opposed you in the first place. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I had this one in particular moment. Um, a few years back, I was playing um, Magic the Gathering on my Xbox, playing against the computer, and I had this oh, this life and death cycle deck. So it was white and black. And I had in it these, I don't remember the name of the artifact. Oh, I'm such a terrible magic player. But as I gained life, my opponent would lose life. So it's kind of like a lifesteal themed deck. Mm -hmm. So as I gain life, the through the use of this artifact, my opponent would lose life. So if I, you know, did a life leech with like a one, one character and I was able to get through, they would lose one life from the attack. I would gain one life because of the life link ability. And then because of the, um, the artifact, they would lose an additional point of life. So that, piss the hell out of my brother when i used to play him with that deck but there's just one instance where i had multiple of that artifact on the table i was down to like four life and there's this legendary angel that when she comes into play you if you're below 20 life you automatically get ramped back up to your full health so in one turn I did 16 damage to my opponent multiple times because I had multiple of that artifact on the table and it triggered for each one of those artifacts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like I'm just that, barely squeaking through. Just And that, Go that goes back to, to uh, just a QA mentality because in, in a, a video game, you can do some good limit testing. with like, like, okay, how hard can I hit? If I can hit hard enough, is mm -hmm. it going to make the damage roll over? <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> mm. uh, like uh, talking about magic, um, play the, the computer version uh, uh, with my wife. We were playing a game of two-headed giant against the uh, computer. And we had a very, very commanding position. And we were kind of just running up the score. <laughs> and just we, we had like <laughs> dozens of creatures out that that were giving each other plus one tokens be like how much damage can we do in one shot right <laughs> it's like we did just like because. 300 just damage because. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> just because all right uh last question and again this is all about force and motion so question number five what is the terminal air velocity of an unladen swallow? What do you mean? An African or a European swallow? Uh, uh, I don't know. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And that is all the time we have for this episode. Time for end of show plugs. You can follow me, Anthony Rossi, on Twitter, Instagram, and PSN at HyperSyntax. That's H-Y-P-3-R-S-I-N-T-4-X. Or you can follow the podcast directly either on Twitter at VGXTPod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash VideoGameCrosstalk. I've also started blogging a little bit. I got another couple posts up there uh, on the website of VideoGameCrosstalk.com. As for my guest, Kinetic, where can our beautiful listeners follow you around? Well, I'm on Enthusiax, so you can see everything there. We're on, what is it, Podbean? Uh, for all of our podcasts, that's Behind the Line Radio and Hero Talk and Point Streak. Uh, we also have um, YouTube channel, Enthusiasts. You can see Axelon's Let's Plays there and a few other things. And my 
really goofy hobby of making WWE 2K17 videos of the Enthusiasts <laughs> wrestling each other. Enthusiasts I, Wrestle I, Gaming Championship. I have seen a couple of those videos. They are entertaining. <laughs> I'm glad someone found them entertaining. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, you can follow Enthusiasts on Twitter at Enthusiasts. Uh, it's Enthusiasts Everywhere, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kinetic Nose, K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K-K-N-O-W-S. All right. And finally, if you are a gamer or know a gamer that wants to talk some tech and science news, let me know. Do you know of some tech news that you'd like to hear discussed? Do you have any other general questions you'd like to hear answered on the show? Send an email to videogamecrosstalk at gmail.com and give me the beats of what's going down. Please don't forget to like, review, subscribe, and share this podcast all over your social media accounts. And we can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, and most other podcast services. One last time, thank you for hanging out with us. And Kinetic, thank you so much for joining me. Ah, thanks for having me. And in the words of Tony Robbins, setting goals is the first step in turning the invisible into the visible. So we have Andrew WK's cover art reveal. Um, I still want to talk about it because it's a really cool story, but I'm not sure if that fits in with gaming and geekery or ah, screw it. We'll talk about it now. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Sorry, I can keep going. Oh, no worries. I, I, can, I, can, I can go on and on about stuff. Oh, um, no, my last podcast was like two hours. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Um, yeah, I saw you had all these topics you wanted to hit. It's like, oh, this is going to go long, isn't it? Uh, again, talking on the use of force, and we're going to go into excessive use of force in this question. Do you have any notable gaming moments, excuse me, any moments of blatant gaming overkill? Or, excuse, hold on. Let me, 